Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. Good morning, Inspire. Uh, in the work I get to with Stratum, I got to know uh, Pastor Philip, and he's just genuinely become a close friend. Um, there's nobody that I stress, treat the war- stress tweet through Warriors games with more. <laughs> Then Pastor Philip, and it really is a joy to be here. Uh, if you don't know this, um, the reason I'm here is uh, Pastor Philip's wife, Jamila, her uncle passed away uh, recently, and so they are in Las Vegas uh, doing a memorial, and Philip's doing the message. And so I uh, just want to acknowledge them, think about them and your prayers, particularly to pray for Jamila and her family. Um, and yeah, so I'm happy to be able to sub in. Like they said, it really is a joy that I get. I've been a pastor in the past, but I'm, I'm not a pastor at present. I get to serve a bunch of churches, and so yeah, when a pastor gets COVID, I'm the guy, you know, and I come in. So anyways, uh, so yeah, I want to continue the series, though, you guys have been working on at Inspire, looking at some extraordinary encounters that we find in the Bible, uh, incredible moments where people meet God and something amazing happens in their lives. And so today, specifically, I want to look into the book of Genesis at a moment in the life of life of Abram or Abraham. It's a, don't get confused. I'll say Abram. Sometimes I'll say Abraham. Sometimes same guy. Uh, if you know anything about Abram or Abraham in the Bible, he is a really interesting person. He is a major figure in the Bible. Uh, The Bible calls him a friend of God or a father of the faithful. Uh, Historically, we know Abraham to be the common ancestor of three major religions, the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Uh, This guy, Abraham, his story, it's a really big deal in, in history, but also in the Bible. Uh, Abraham, his relationship with God that we read about in the scriptures, it's in some ways sort of a a new kind of relationship in history. It's one that's defined by faith and a covenant or an agreement that God initiates towards man. Uh, And as the father of the faithful, if you will, Abraham's relationship with God is sort of an example for us. Often in the scriptures, he's looked at as an archetype or an example for us to follow. And so we're encouraged in the New Testament to actually have faith like Abraham which is what makes the story we're going to look at today really interesting uh, because it's not a story that highlights Abraham's obedience or faithfulness to God. Uh, It's not a story that shows Abraham actually as a hero. Uh, In the text that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see Abraham's lack of faith. We're going to instead see his fear. Uh, We're going to instead see his failure. And we're going to be sticking primarily to Genesis 12. If you have a Bible, you want to open that up. Um, Text will still come on the screen, uh, but you're welcome to open a Bible, a Bible app. Uh, But before we get started, though, let me pray for us real quick. God, we're grateful for your message to us in the Bible. Uh, We pray today, Lord, that you would teach us through the life and the example of Abraham. Uh, God, I want to pray specifically for Philip and Jamila today, that Philip would comfort his extended family, uh, which you'd use Philip as he's ministered with the gospel to bring lasting hope and peace and comfort uh, through his words. God, for those of us in the room here today, God, I pray that people like me are familiar with what it looks like to, be fa- to fail, to lack faith at times. God, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us by your faithfulness to Abraham. As we read his story, as we look at his example, God, would you speak to us in our own situations, each of us unique here with our own stories coming into the room today. Would you speak to each of us where we're at? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 12, uh, I'm going to start in verse 10. I'm going to go backwards. Let me read verse 10. 
It says this, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, the first question I have when I come to this text is, what land? Uh, where is this story happening? Uh, there's a lot of geographic changes that happen in the story of Abraham, if you were to read the book of Genesis, and many of them are really significant. It's like really important to pay attention to where things are happening in Abraham's story, to where things take place when we read the Bible. And Abraham's story begins in uh, his homeland, a place called Ur, which is like modern-day Iraq. Uh, and then he settles in a place called Haran, which is kind of the border between Turkey and Syria. And then after that, God calls him to leave this place, Haran, and to go to a promised land, uh, this place that he's never been to, but one that God is going to show him. And let me read this previous section, Genesis chapter 12, for context. This is God calling Abraham and making some promises to him. This is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. It's a long section, but I'm going to read it. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from, your, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And, there they, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. So Abraham has trusted in God in faith. He has received this promise that God will make him a great nation. Um, so, so I'm just giving some context here. You know, that, that, that God has made some promises to Abraham. He has made some, um, some, some declarations to him uh, that he's going to make him great, that he's going to bless all the nations of the earth, and that God is going to give him descendants and land in the area of Canaan to settle in. So there's these kind of big promises ahead of him. And Abraham, he believes God's promises, he trusts him, he leaves his hometown, he leaves Haran, and he goes down to Canaan, which is sort of modern-day Palestine and Israel. Like all that stuff in the news that we're seeing, that is where Abraham is moving to. And along the way, he's setting up altars uh, to God all, all along this journey, which are monuments that acknowledge God. Uh, Abraham, he's kind of constructing like physical reminders of God's character and his faithfulness. Uh, an altar was like something you'd build out of rock or like dirt with like a flat surface. You often put it like on, on the top of a mountain or something. And it, it's usually uh, something that you would do that would be very obvious for you to see even from far away. And an altar was a place where someone might make a sacrifice or pray to God. They were places designed to help someone encounter God. Yeah. And they were places to help people remind, remind them later of a moment of encounter with God, where God showed up and did something extraordinary. And so I want you to hold on to this idea of an altar. Uh, and we're going to come back to it uh, later in the, in the, tech, in the, in the sermon. Uh, but just, just hang on to that idea of Abraham building this between Ai and Bethel. And yet we come to the text we're studying today and we're focusing on Abraham. He's living sort of as a countercultural foreigner in the land of Canaan. He has this big promise from God of many descendants, and yet his wife Sarai remains childless. They have no descendants. 
The people surrounding him don't share his faith. In fact, they're hostile. We know from history that the religious practices that the Canaanites did were very different than what God calls Abraham and his followers to do. And so Abraham, he sort of exists in Canaan as a religious and a cultural minority. And yet he still believes in this future promise that God will provide for him descendants, land, a great nation. But his day-to-day existence is like really different than that promise. Maybe you can relate to something like that. Where God has, Abraham has trusted God in the past. He's trusting God for some long-term things, but he's struggling in the present. I think many of us can resonate with that dynamic at times in our lives. And then additionally, right, on top of all of this, there seems to be some kind of famine, some lack of food in the land that God has promised to him. There's difficulty all around Abraham that he can't escape. He probably feels alone. He probably feels isolated. He might have doubts and feel uncertain about his immediate future. Now, if you know anything about the the world at that time, you know, there's no grocery stores to just go pick up your food. Uh, Famines would have been pretty common. And so when a famine would happen, Abraham would make a decision that a lot of people would make, which would be to head to Egypt. The reason is because Egypt, you guys are familiar with, you know, middle school geography, the Nile River is there, provides consistent fresh water, even if there's no rain in the land. And we see these kinds of famines in the Bible, and people surrounding Egypt will often go there, uh, emigrate there for a season uh, of drought in order to, to survive. And that, you know, if you know the story of Joseph, that's kind of what he does. He gains favor with Egypt, Egyptian Pharaoh, if you know that biblical story. But from this text today, it's kind of hard to know if Abraham's act of leaving Canaan because of this famine is a lack of faith or, or just him making a, a decision on his own. It's not totally clear. It's not explicit in the text what's happening there. But we can know when we judge how Abraham acts when he gets to Egypt, we can see that Abraham's fear has now overcome Abraham's faith. And herein lies the challenge for all of us, all the time, when trials and difficulties come, when things don't play out like we think they should, will we trust God or will we run to someone or something else? Will we stay faithful to God or will we go to our own little Egypts, places that promise security or hope outside of where God has called us? That is a temptation we all face, and it's the temptation Abraham succumbs to in this story. And that's where we see our story and his story, right? In the midst of whatever difficulty we are facing, are we living by faith, trusting God? Are we living by fear and trusting something else? Let's keep reading Genesis 12, verses 11 through 13. As he, Abraham, was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. What a twist, right? Didn't see that one coming. Abraham asked his wife, hey, lie for me so that, so that your life, so my life will be spared for, you, know, for you. Like he, he, he positions this as though he's doing it for her benefit. This is not Abraham at his best. Abraham, he's heading toward Egypt. He expects to find some kind of provision. Uh, He expects to find some kind of food for his family. But now he's concerned about an entirely new dynamic. Apparently, Abram's wife, Sarah, is like quite the catch, like hot stuff, you know, million Instagram followers, whatever. Um, And Abraham is afraid that someone is going to see his wife, Sarah, and think like, we need to get rid of this guy. Like, we need to dump him out of the picture so we can have her. And so he decides that the best course of action in this situation would be deception, would be to lie and to have Sarah, his wife, lie as well. And he tries to convince her that's kind of for her benefit. Uh, it's possible in some ways that Abraham is trying to protect Sarah by suggesting that, you know, she says he is her brother. But it seems like he's like most interested in protecting himself. 
It's a bad look for Abram. You know, it, it's very, it's not, a, it's not a good moment. There's definitely some self-justifying and self-centered behavior happening. In, in any case, whatever's happening here, whatever the reasons are, at the very least, Abraham allows his fear to overcome his faith in God's ability to protect and provide for him and Sarah. It is if fear has caused Abraham to forget God's promises to him. Because if God did indeed promise, right, that he would give Abraham like many descendants, like grandkids and grandkids, and he and Sarah don't have any kids yet, Abraham shouldn't be afraid. He should be confident that God is going to protect them, right? If God hadn't fulfilled his promise yet, Abraham shouldn't be afraid of dying. But again, his fear has overcome his faith. And again, this happens with us who are Christians too, right? We kind of intellectually believe some things that God will provide for us in the future, but then we make cho choices that show that we're living by fear and not by faith. Instead of trusting God in the day-to-day, -day, we scheme and we take things into our own hands. We do this in our work lives. We do this with relationships. Maybe we feel beat down like Abraham because we're living as sort of a cultural religious minority in our area. We're surrounded by people who don't share our faith or convictions. Maybe we feel like we're having our own kind of famine, right? A season in which God doesn't seem to be providing what we think we need. And so we begin to look for something else. We take things into our own hands. We begin to let our fear conquer our faith. Are you ever tempted like that? Yeah, yeah I am. Uh, you know, Lord, you know, you know maybe I've, I've had this, this personal one for me. You know, Lord, I know you've called me to the Bay Area. Me and my five kids, guys, five. Uh, and you will always provide for my needs in this expensive place. But Lord, have you noticed the house prices in Phoenix? <laughs> right? Or Lord, you know, I know you will provide for me a godly spouse in your time. But have you noticed how beautiful some of these ladies online are? Lord, I know that wisdom and truth can be found when I read your word. But man, is social media a bit easier to scroll through first thing or last thing in the evening? You ever feel like that? It can be so easy to justify our actions, our lack of trust, even our sin. And there are a million ways this could play out for us, for each of us. Think of yourself. Where in your life are you allowing your fear, your worry, your stress, or your weariness even to keep you from obedience to God? You may know what God calls you to do, who God calls you to be, but are you putting it off or ignoring it altogether? Where has your fear conquered your faith? Let's read how this plays out for Abraham some more. Genesis 12, verses 14 through 16. When Abraham, came to, when Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Now, I doubt this is what Abraham had in mind when he came to Egypt when he came up with this plan to lie to the Egyptians. My guess is he was hoping the Egyptians would just see his hot sister and treat him well, right? He could pick up some provisions. He could politely fend off some suitors. She's not into you, sorry. I wish she was, uh, you know, who were pursuing her. And then he'd be back on his way to Canaan, loaded up like from a big old trip to Costco. <laughs> but someone else of power has taken an interest yeah. in Sarah. Pharaoh, the leader of one of the most powerful nations in the world, has noticed Sarah and has added, or someone connected to him has added Sarah to Pharaoh's harem. Uh, Pharaoh would have likely had hundreds of women living in palaces available for his sexual exploits. There would have been a team of people always on the lookout for the most beautiful women to add to this group. 
And it's unclear, too, really, if Pharaoh has even met Sarah yet, but she, you know, has been taken into this group. She's available for Pharaoh. She's no longer with Abraham. We know that. The text doesn't say if Sarah had a sexual relationship with Pharaoh. It seems as though God has graciously been preventing that. But this deception that Abraham imagined has totally blown up in his face. Uh, the story is really terrible in its irony, right? Sarah is put in an impossible situation. Uh, Abram, he left Canaan because of famine. He's worried about not having enough. And now he's surrounded by all the finest animals in the land, all the gifts from Pharaoh. He has servants tending to him. He's surrounded by food and luxury. And yet at the same time, he has lost something far, far more valuable, his wife. He's dishonored her. He has broken trust and covenant with her. It's despicable. It's awful. And when we read this, we really should judge Abraham harshly here. His actions are terrible. He's not a hero. But at the same time, how many times have we too chased something we thought we needed, losing something far more valuable in the process? We chase money and we lose integrity. We chase the approval of others and we ignore prejudice. We chase pleasure and we use others and we lose love. Abraham, his belly is full. He is no longer thirsty. He has become material wealthy. He's no longer worried about the famine, but he is more impoverished than ever before. This lie that he thought would protect him and Sarah has now endangered her. She's on the cusp of adultery or even subject to rape. Because of his fear, he has now functionally traded his wife and subjected her to abuse, to possible abuse. This is not how Abraham thought this was going to turn out. His grand plan is now his rock bottom. And when, when Abraham was faced with the choice of trusting God or allowing his fear to win, he stopped trusting God and instead trusted his own thinking. He devised his own wise plan that he thought was going to fix everything, but instead things are now worse, worse than he ever feared would happen if he, decided, if he never decided to even leave Canaan. Maybe have you ever been in a similar situation? Maybe not as intense as this, where your foolish choices have put those you love at risk. We find ourselves sometimes in situations that we never imagined being in. We can't even figure out how to get out of it. Think about that. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, Lord, I don't, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get out. That is where Abraham is. There is nothing he can do to fix this. There is nothing. He is totally overmatched by Pharaoh and the powerful Egyptians. Abraham is stuck, and he is in need of divine help. Uh, there's this great phrase uh, often used by people in addiction or recovery ministries or programs. It says this. It says, your best thinking got you here. Your best thinking got you here. And it's kind of this reminder that essentially you trusting you is why you are in this situation. And in order to get out of this, you're going to need something bigger than, greater than yourself. Greater than your own thinking, because your own thinking is why you're sitting in this seat. Essentially, you trusting you is why you're in this situation. What might that be for Abraham? What might that be for us? Um, let me read the beginning of verse 17. The text begins to turn here. It says this, verse 17, but the Lord. But the Lord. Your best thinking got you here, but the Lord. For any of us who are followers of Jesus, this kind of situation, and these three words are packed with meaning. But the Lord. So much good news is packed in those three words. One of the biggest buts in the Bible, right? 
There is not a Christian who truly has experienced the grace of God who doesn't understand the significance of but the Lord. Now, I want your help. I want you to to repeat this phrase, but the Lord, when I point out to you guys, okay? All right, we're going to do this real quick. I was depressed and alone. I was broken without hope. I was addicted and at rock bottom. I was full of arrogance and pride. I was filled with guilt and shame. I was dead in my sin. What is your personal but the Lord moment? Have you had one? Can you remember when he rescued you? Maybe it was years ago. Can you remember your darkest moments when all hope was lost but the Lord? Take a moment and go back through your life. Can you remember any times when God so clearly showed up for you? It can be easy to forget, though, right? It can be easy to forget. I came to Christ after multiple arrests, small-time suburban drug dealer on an acid trip. That's how I came to Christ. But the Lord is true for me. My best thinking has gotten me into some stuff, some really bad places. But the Lord, he has rescued me. It's a big part of my story and of every Christian story. But even today, even today, with that story, with that in my, in my history, when things get hard, when famine, whatever it looks like comes, when I feel isolated because of my faith or whatever, I too can forget God's faithfulness to me. I can forget how he's rescued me. I can forget that my story is filled with but the Lord moments. And not just when I came to faith, but throughout my journey with him. Like if, if we had time, I could tell you some stories that you're like, wow, but the Lord I still sometimes, though, I let fear or I let weariness conquer my faith, and I run to my own little Egypts. I trust my own capacity to save myself. And just like Abraham, every time it doesn't work out. Maybe it works out for a little while, but then Egypt inevitably turns on me. It disappoints. My best plans and my efforts fall apart. And just like Abraham's story, people people often get hurt along the way. But that phrase, but the Lord, this is the hope for the follower of the Lord, for the follower of God. But the Lord is a kind of altar, right? It's a phrase that should remind us of previous times that the Lord has worked in our lives. Let's keep reading verse 17 through 20. It says this, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men. They sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. You know, we see here that while Abraham is sometimes called the father of the faithful in the Bible, that's kind of a phrase about him. It's really God who is faithful in Abraham's story. In spite of Abraham's sin and his foolish plans, God faithfully intervenes. In spite of Abraham's unfaithfulness to God, God remains faithful to Abraham. God causes some kind of sickness or calamity to fall on the house in the palace of Pharaoh. Uh, At some point, God or Sarah tells Pharaoh why this is happening. Somehow Pharaoh finds this out. He figures out what's happening. Does he have a dream? Did Sarah confess the truth? We don't really know. But, But somehow Pharaoh finds out and he calls Abram to him, into his presence, and he confronts him. And Pharaoh, he asks Abraham three questions. And Abraham never responds in the text. What could he say? He's got no good answer for his actions. He's silent and he's ashamed. 
Pharaoh is like, this is a very powerful person, and he is furiously upset with Abraham. This pagan ruler, though, showing more righteousness and honor than the the guy that God promises to use to bless the whole world. It's interesting, the English translation here uh, of, that, of, that, of that text, now then, here's your wife, take her and go. The, the, the English sounds like a nice sentence. Now, here's your wife, take her and go. The Hebrew is actually, wife, take, go. Wow. Like, he's like, get out of here. It is as if Pharaoh is having to restrain himself. I just imagine him just filled with anger, only holding back because he doesn't want to cross the God who sent diseases on his household and who he fears. It's not because of Abraham. It's because of God. So Pharaoh, he gives orders. He sends Abram and Sarah away. Now, I've had some long car rides with my wife. Some long, quiet car rides. Now, this must have been a long trip back to Canaan, right? Like, I, I don't know, man. I've said some stupid things. I've had some awkward drives with my wife, Rachel, but nothing like this. I mean, I can't imagine what this trip back to Canaan was like for them. Did she, like, smack him when they got out of sight of the Egyptians? Were they relieved? Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. How how long did Abraham get the silent treatment? You know, what was that like? If you even just try that on for a minute, how does a marriage come back from that kind of betrayal? Was there any hope for Abram and Sarah after this? There's a little clue in chapter 13, and we're not going to go super deep in it this morning, but I want to give a little window into how Abraham responds and how God begins his restoration process and his reconciliation between Abraham and Sarah. Let me read it and see if you pick it up. This is chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev and his wife, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. You catch this? He retraces his steps. He goes back to the very beginning, before even the promised land. Did you catch that? They returned to where they first trusted God, all the way back to those altars that he'd set up. Back between Ai and Bethel, where Abraham made an altar and where the text says he first called on the name of the Lord. Abraham returns to this first place and he prays again. He repents and he commits himself again to trusting God. This is a model for us. At times, Abraham's life, it shows us what it looks like to be filled with faith. Other times, it shows us what to do when we fail. And for many of us, this looks like going back to the beginning of our faith. And and I don't know, uh, uh, with each of you, how far you've gone from God. You may have trusted him at some point in your life, but maybe somewhere along the way, fear conquered your faith. If that's you, God invites you back to the beginning again. Uh, to, To come to renew your faith in him, to repent again and to find forgiveness for the ways you failed. Uh, If you know the biblical story, God redeems Abraham and Sarah's relationship. He uses them to change the world. It's through their descendants that Jesus Christ will come, who brings hope and salvation, who all this Christmas season is about. God can do amazing things when we go back to the beginning. Now, maybe there is an area of your life that you've been refusing to submit. Maybe maybe it's like 80% of my life I'm obedience, but there's this piece over here that I, that I hold on to in, in disobedience or I refuse to submit to God. I know that that's wrong. I know what he wants for me here, but, but I just can't. 
maybe it's time for you too to come to a place of repentance and to call out for help again. Or maybe some of you have never trusted God. Maybe you're here because someone dragged you or, or, you're, or you're interested and you want to know Jesus, but you just haven't taken that step of faith. Maybe you're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, but you're holding back from trusting him completely. Today could be the beginning of your new journey with God. Could day, today could be the day you build that first altar. For all of us, whether we are needing to return to the beginning, if we're starting a new journey with Jesus, we need to start with the kind of humility that, that, that you see in repentance, right? Acknowledging our failures, calling out to the God who, who rescues us because we need his help. I know often in these kinds of situations, um, we can begin to minimize how much we need to clean our, like how bad the problems are and think, well, you know, I got some stuff, but really I think I can work it out. I can pull myself up. It's not that bad. But the truth of the Bible teaches us over and over again that we can't pull ourselves up, that we need rescue, that there's freedom in that. It's the same instinct towards self-sufficiency that got Abraham in this mess. It's that same instinct that we often resort to that causes us to reject and miss the rescue of God. And I want to just, as we think of this story, just again say that Abraham's encounter reminds us that we can't handle life alone. We don't got this. We don't. We need help. Each of us needs divine rescue, not self-improvement, not life hacks. There's no podcast. There's no New Year's resolution. There's no vision board that's going to save you. We need an encounter with God. Like Abraham, our best thinking, all of us got us here. And we need something outside of ourselves, someone else to rescue us. And where does that divine rescue come from? It flows from the loving heart of God who is faithful when we are not. It comes from a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. From a God who reaches out to us, who rescued Abraham and Sarah in this story, even though Abraham didn't deserve it, this same God similarly reaches out to us, undeserving as we are, and offers Jesus Christ, this descendant, to be our rescue today. Because he loves us. Because he loves you. That's the simple thing of the gospel. Because God loves you, he offers this rescue even though like Abraham, we have all trusted ourselves over and over again against God, we've often endangered ourselves and others. Just like Abraham, we have all chosen self-interest over selfless love, and now we too need a rescuer, a savior. And yet, just like Abraham, we too can be called faithful, like he is in the Bible, in spite of our unfaithfulness. Because just like God ultimately found the father of the faithful Abraham to be faithful, he too can find us faithful. And this happens when we come to God in humble repentance, when we trust his provision to cover our sin and our failure, trusting his faithfulness instead of our own to make us faithful, trusting Jesus's way instead of our own way, trusting God instead of ourselves. So this morning, I just want to close in just a time of prayer, a time of prayer where we uh, ask God to save us, to restore us, to make us faithful, um, I know this message has been, it's been a short message, but I just, I just for a moment, just want us to reflect in a few minutes of silence and think about times when God has been faithful to you. Or think about those moments that are just coming up in your heart where you're like, man, this is a place that I'm falling short. This is a place that I'm living in disobedience. This is a thing that I've been trusting myself in front of God, instead of God. 
And as you think of God's faithfulness to you and you think of the places that you need to submit to God, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I'm so thankful that you rescue us. I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. I'm so thankful that you take broken, messed up, confused, unfaithful people, you take us as we are and you heal and you make us whole and you restore and you comfort. And so God, with each of us, in whatever ways that we are needing your rescue this morning, big or small, Lord, we come to you with our hands open and say, Lord, help us, save us. Like you saved Abraham and Sarah, Lord, save us, rescue us. We give ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.